must say, church, you guys sound pretty awesome. Man, that sounded really, uh, really powerful, man. Not just coming from the stage up here, but from what was coming behind me, and I don't think it was Mike Leathers there, but it was, uh, <laughs> unless he sings like a little girl sometimes, possible, right? No, it sounded awesome, guys. Turn, if you will, to uh, Revelation chapter 4. We will be reading it in its entirety in, in just a little bit, but um, we're only going to cover the first five verses this morning, but I want to read it all just to get a, a greater glimpse of, of uh, what we're going to be covering. Um, last week, we, uh, we finished up with the seven churches. It took us seven different studies. It took us a couple of months to kind of get through all of them with me being gone here and there. But seven different studies in seven different churches, um, all of these churches being in Asia Minor, in what we call today uh, modern-day Turkey, we went on this road trip in that place. And again, man, I, I want to encourage you guys, man, to go back and reread those things and just kind of Google the map so you see where all of these things were at because it's just phenomenal. Now, each one of these churches that we covered are and were physical churches in that time period. When the book of Revelation was being written or was written, um, this book, whether and I'm sure they didn't make multiple copies, but it went from one church to the other, 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 and I think that was seven others. Um, but anyways, it went all the way around, and each one of them got to read the whole revelation of Jesus Christ, but they got to read what was happening in the other churches. Interesting. But what we got to see in the churches was the good, the bad, and the ugly of all these churches that were happening there, what was uh, going on. And Jesus had something to say because he was the one that sent the message through some messengers. He had something to say to each one of them about what was going on in their particular church because Jesus knew each one of their churches and each one of their works. And he commended and rebuked them for their works. Either or. He commended them and he rebuked them for, for their works. He, he told some, like the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia, to be faithful. To hold on. In other words, hang in there to the very end, even if it takes death. You hang in there. And to the rest of them, he told them to repent. He told them that they needed to repent from what they were allowing in their churches. He needed, they needed to repent for, for which direction they were going or for losing their love or, and all these things. He told them to repent. And guys, I've been trying to, to express this to you because oftentimes we, we look or we hear the word repent and it's like, oh, it's like, no, what an amazing gift. What an amazing gift God has given us. Really? That, 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 that he has not only given this, this gift to the world, for sure, that the world, if they repent, they shall be saved, but he's given this gift to the church, those who have already repented, and you know how we kind of get into stuff, and we need to repent daily. And I just think, what an amazing gift, because it shows us his mercy and his grace in our lives each and every day. But to every one of them, 
every one of them. In one fashion or another, he told them to overcome. And in overcoming, he showed them, at the end of each letter, he showed them an eternal perspective of what they could expect when they overcame. In other words, he gave them a heavenly perspective, if you will, of what to look forward to, as opposed to the earthly perspectives that the churches were dealing with. In other words, what they saw and experienced here on earth, they could overcome those perspectives and those things if they had and hoped for the eternal and heavenly perspectives. That's the only way that we can get through this life if there's an eternal perspective that's ahead of us. And that's what he was encouraging these churches to do, to overcome. And he showed them glimpses of what it will be like in eternity and in heaven. And everything that these seven churches went through, we also saw throughout church history. Which again, throughout the seven churches, we try to... I tried to give you these time periods of where these churches fit in. And exactly the way they were written out to the physical churches, it is exactly how it's been happening throughout church history for the last 2,000 years. Getting to the church of Laodicea, which is the last church and the last part of the church age that we are in today. And so from beginning to end of the church age, he has shown us how to overcome. Now, it's interesting because when he started these letters to the seven churches, it says that he was in the midst of the church. And the very last letter that we looked at, we see Jesus outside the church knocking on the door, waiting for somebody to open the door. And again, we, we, we see this throughout the church today the different types of church, the ones that Jesus is in the midst and those that Jesus is just on the outside knocking to get in, man. So we've seen that not only in the literal churches throughout church history, we see it in the church today, but just like everything that we read in the Word of God, we are to apply this personally as well. Because as we've studied each church, we see a little bit of those churches, all seven of them, in our hearts. And we are in different places at different times in our Christian walk. And we are to check ourselves continually. Because sometimes he is just telling us, hey, hold on. Be faithful. Till death, you hang on. To other ones, to other people, he's, telling, he's rebuking us. He's telling us, hey, get it straight. Get it right. Get your focus back on me. That's what he does, man. And so we are to take all those things personally. Now, in dealing with all that we see and experience as individuals that make up the church, we can become or, or we can be overcome and overwhelmed with all the early er, earthly perspectives that we battle, everything that we see around, you know, and we perceive, you know, we, 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 we can be overwhelmed. And that's why we need to overcome what, this, what is earthly and set our minds on things above and not on things of this earth. That, that, that's what the junior high theme is this year. 
That should be our theme as well, each and every day, to set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. So going back and looking at our outline that Jesus gave the Apostle Paul in Revelation 119, he says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Chapter 1 dealt with the things John had seen in the vision. Chapters 2 and 3 were the things that are, which are, as he wrote to the seven churches. And for the rest of the book, John writes down the things which will take place after this. And throughout all of it, what he has seen, the things that are and the things that will come, in all of it, Christ is revealed. So from here on out, John is moving away from the earthly perspectives. And he is moving into another perspective in the outline that we have. And this is what we get to see and experience as Christians. We get to have a heavenly perspective. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a, thr a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And, with, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a, the fa a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, which having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to, and is to come whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall before him uh, before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying you are worthy O lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Lord, please bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking at verse 1, 
after these things, after what things? <laughs> after the things that are. He has moved on in, in, in this outline. The, the, the scene, the viewpoint, the perspective, if you will, has now changed from the things that are to after these things. <laughs> these things that, that, that come after the things that are. Jesus, or not Jesus, but John now has a different standpoint. And he is looking at something that he has never seen before. Oh, John has seen glory. Don't get me wrong. If you know the story, you saw John when he saw glory on the mountain of transfiguration, when he was still on earth, right? When he was on earth, Jesus appears, or Jesus walks up with them, but Elijah and Moses appear, and it says, man, it was so bright. So he understands glory. He has seen what glory looks like, but he has never experienced what he is beholding from this vantage point that he has right now. As he is writing this, the things that will come after. It's almost as if the veil of the very presence of God has been opened wide. Has been ripped apart. It's almost like like he is in this heavenly realm, away from the earthly realm that he had been so accustomed to. He is looking at something, and from one moment to the next, he is beholding and experiencing heaven. (laughs) Much like the vision that the prophet Ezekiel sees in in, in Ezekiel chapter 1. That chapter and this chapter are so similar. So, so you can go back and read Ezekiel chapter 1 and just see some of the things and read this one over again and just kind of see some of the similarities. Now, many believe, and, and, and I am of the same belief, and this is where we stand as a church, as Calvary Chapel of Phelan, that at this point, as we're seeing here, at this point, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the church that is made up of his people has been harpazoed. What? What are you speaking? <laughs> that, that, that is the, the, the Greek word for the word caught up, snatched away, raptured, if you will. That, 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 that at this point, John has been harpazoed out of the earth, and he is from one moment to the next in the presence of God in this throne room. And I, I, I just think, man, that is exciting. And the reason that we believe this is that from the beginning of this verse to the end of the book, of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the church is not mentioned from here on out until the end. Till the marriage supper of the Lamb time. Back, back over here. There's other things that are happening in, in the earth, but the church is never mentioned. Oh, there's tribulation saints and all, but the church is never mentioned from here on out. So now we're getting a, a different perspective, a heavenly perspective. And John has been called up to heaven. And he's seeing things in a whole different light. So, after these things, 
after Jesus has finished speaking to the churches, and in the historical sense, once he is finished with the church age, now it's time to judge Israel. Now it's time for the wrath of God to fall upon the whole world. This is where now the focus is back on Israel, God's people. This is where the 70th week of Daniel now picks up. It's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. And what we would be calling the Great Tribulation is about to to begin. But before all the chaos begins here on earth, and for that matter, all the chaos that's been going on in the world, we, we get a glimpse, we get, a, we get to see how it's always going on in heaven. There's control. There's one who sits on the throne that hasn't gotten off. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. He, he, he hasn't like lost control. He is still in control. And so before all the chaos starts on the great tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, before all that falls apart here on earth, after all this stuff has been going on for, for centuries here, we get a glimpse and going, wow, it looks pretty awesome in heaven. Nobody's freaking out up there. <laughs> Nobody's worried. No, nobody, nobody is like, ah, I would do my panic. <laughs> nobody, nobody's doing that, you know, not like they're going to be doing here on earth. Not like what some people do even today. You see, because nothing ever changes in heaven like that. Oh, he's still in control about everything. Everything is the same in heaven. And the first thing that John hears is a voice like a trumpet speaking to him. It's not a noisy voice. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a direct call. And, he, and, and for some reason, he's going, wait a minute. I, I, know, that, I know that trumpet call. He, he heard it in chapter 1, right? When Jesus first appeared to him, he is saying, I've heard this trumpet. It sounds so familiar. And it sounds just like another trumpet. <clears throat> That also sounds really familiar, where in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, where it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazoed, if you will, together with him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This, this trumpet was not this loud voice that he couldn't make out. No, it was a comforting trumpet. He, heard, he knew this voice. He, he, he understood what was coming out of that trumpet. And it says, come up here. Come up here. And I will show you things which must must take place after this. We will now begin to get a glimpse of heaven and from heaven. And this is the reason it is believed that the church is not going through the great tribulation. The similarities are amazing between John and the church here. 
If anything, he is representing the church because he is part of the church. And when we look at these things, when, 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 when he has he shown this vision and all of a sudden he sees this door open, which leads right into heaven, and the call to come up here, he's no longer seeing things from an earthly perspective. He is now looking and viewing everything from a heavenly perspective. And this voice tells him, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. It's interesting because people throughout the ages, as well as people today, have been so obsessed, so infatuated and, 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 and fascinated with, with the future, wanting to know the future, right? So much so that they look to horoscopes, and I'm sure people are still doing that today. These tarot cards and, and, and palm readers and, and psychics and you name it, man. They want to know, what does the future hold? You know, man, I could be one of those guys. It's like, oh, death. <laughs> That's for certain, man. That's what the future holds for you. I don't know when. I don't know exactly, but there's death. Count on it. Yet our society... <laughs> has by and large bypassed and ignored the best source of this kind to know the future. The information about the future is right here in in, in the revelation of Jesus Christ. But this world, by and large, has ignored Jesus Christ himself. They don't want to know this kind of future. They want to know, is there riches involved? Is there a guy or a girl in my life? What does it, it's like, now, destruction at the end. (laughs) This chapter, in this chapter, we get a a unique view of heaven. And in the following chapters, we we, we get to see a a unique view from heaven as, as we see everything unfold in the book of Revelation. And I know that some people might, 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 might think, well, how can you be so certain or so sure about the future as it is written in the book of Revelation? Well, it, it is because from the beginning of the Word of God to the very end of the Word of God, everything that has been predicted or foretold about future events have already come to pass. Every one of them and the ones that haven't will, only because it's the word of God and it is sure and God holds his word above his name. And so whatever is written down in here will happen. Timelines, I can't tell you that, (laughs) but I know for sure that what is written from here on out in the word of God, in the book of Revelation, will come to pass. And Jesus will be revealed through all of it. He will continue to be the center figure of all of it. And so this is no exception of what we're going to be covering from here on out in this next year. And in verse 2 and 3, he says, Immediately immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne set in heaven, and one uh, sat on the throne. And he who sat on the throne, or sat there, was like a jasper and a sardius stone. In appearance, and around, and there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance of an emerald. 
And so it's, it almost seems like from verse 1 to verse 2, it's immediately, without hesitation, from one moment to the next, he is harpazoed, he is, he is caught up, he is snatched away. That's the way I kind of look at it right here, man. To me, it's like something has happened from verse 1 and verse 2, from the calling to the time that he begins. He says immediately, right away, like right now. <laughs> I saw this. And it reminded me of 1 Corinthians 15, where it says in verses 52 and 53, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed immediately. He says, I was in the Spirit. Immediately I was in the Spirit. Now, in the first chapter, we saw that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. When Jesus first appeared to him, and more than likely, he, he was in the Spirit, worshiping God, meditating on God. In other words, he was worshiping in spirit and in truth, as it tells us in John chapter 4, verse 24. So now, is John like experiencing this, some kind of out-of-body out of experience? Has, has he gone on some kind of religious ecstasy or something like that, that he's on this crazy trip and he is just looking at this going, whoo, this is trippy, man. No, not at all. This, this, was a diff, this was different from being in the Spirit on the Lord's Day in that he was still in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, but now John was in a place of being able to receive this very important revelation in heaven. He, he is in the presence of God. He, he has seen the, the things which, which were and the things which were, are, but now he's seen the things that will come after this. And he is able not only to be witnessing and seeing everything that is going on around him, but he is able to write these things down as well. And the first thing that catches his eye was the, thr was the throne and one who sat on the throne. In the first five verses that we, that we are looking at right now, the word throne is mentioned five times in four of the five verses. So, so one might think the central figure of this is the throne, and absolutely it is. It, the, the, the throne, everything is surrounding the throne. Everything is focused on the throne and he who sits on it. Now, I... I know what everybody wants to know. I, it's like, I'm thinking, it's like, what, did, what does he, God, look like, John? Tell us. If you've seen it, tell us. <laughs> but he doesn't say. And this is where we have to believe that what John saw was far too amazing to put down. It, it, it's almost like he could not put it into words. And so he tries to explain to us what we might be able to understand in the physical realm, in the earthly realm. So what he has seen in, in the heavenly realm, in the, with this heavenly perspective, he's going, they're never going to believe me. I'll just break it down. Break, break, break it down to them so they can understand it. Although there is one who sits on the throne, John cannot give us a distinct figure of what he looks like. But he describes him by the glory that is surrounding him through precious stones. 
Again, man, they, 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 they were precious back then like they are today. And he's going, whoa. <laughs> a jasper stone, a, a sardius stone, yes. And guys, these two stones, the Jewish believers would totally understand. They would totally understand because these two stones would, would, would be uh, what was on the, the breastplate of the priest. And they start out from, from, from right to left. No. However Hebrew is read. It's read from, the, not like we read from left to right. It's from left, from right to left, right? Am I saying that right? So the first stone that would be on this, because there was 12 stones, one for each tribe, the Sardius stone was, was for Reuben, who was the firstborn. And there was three, 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 and three. On this, on this breastplate. And, and so the Sardius stone was for Reuben, the firstborn, which means behold, a son. And the, the Jasper stone was for, for uh, Benjamin, the last son. And it means son of my right hand. The, the, the Jasper stone, most believe, was a diamond not like we might see today, but back then, the, the jasper stone was considered to be a diamond. The most beautiful and precious of all gems, right, ladies? Um, with the brilliance that is displayed by a, 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 di- a diamond and the intense colors, this stone represents or symbolizes the dominant attributes of God the Father in His holy perfection. The Sardius stone, also known as the Carnelian stone, is, is a beautiful, glowing, blood-red stone, a symbol of the sacrifice of Jesus. And around the throne, there was a rainbow. And this speaks of the promise of God, right? The Holy Spirit is what was promised to come and live in those who would believe. Now, this rainbow that is around the throne is not an ark like we would normally view or perceive a rainbow. It it is a complete circle. Like the never-ending promises of God. It's a complete circle. They just are never-ending. You see, from our earthly perspective, when we see a rainbow, we see an ark, right? That's all we see from, from, from the earth. But apparently, from the heavenly perspective, you see the complete circle. Now, amazingly enough, I just watched this a few weeks ago. I forgot what I was watching. But from an airplane, you could see the complete circle of, of a rainbow. If you're high enough and at the right, right position, you can see the complete circle because it's, it's the sun beating down on, on the water and it's complete. But from earthly perspective, we only see the arc. From heavenly perspective, you see the round circle. And again, the promise of God is never ending. It is complete. It never fails. It's always there. And so John that had it said that it had the appearance of an emerald. This, this, this rainbow had the appearance of an emerald, emerald stone. And the emerald stone was the third stone from right to left on the breastplate on the top. 
And, and it represented the tribe of Levi. And the tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe. The priestly tribe was the one that administered the work of God. In other words, just like the Holy Spirit is doing the work of God here on earth, this emerald stone representing the Holy Spirit. And so here, in, in these three stones that he gives us, we see the fullness of God. A glimpse of heaven, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The glory of, of what John saw was too amazing, far beyond words that he could say. So it's almost like he keeps on telling us, it was like, you know, dot, dot, dot. It was like this. It was like that. And we're going to get that often from him. Because again, he's seeing things that are in a different realm. I, I know that oftentimes we've all said it from one time or another. That when we get to heaven, man, we're going to talk to so-and-so. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And all these kinds of things. And I just think, no, I just think we're going to get blown away. I think, I think that it is just going to be so insane that we, we, we can't even imagine. I mean, we get a picture here, and he's trying to bring it down to our level to understand it, but we're going to get there and go, <laughs> just fall on our face and worship. I, I, I think we're going to be just too busy, like the 24 elders and, and the four living creatures, man, just singing day in and day out. And guys, people are going, oh, I don't even like to worship here. Well, get used to it. Get used to it up there. Start worshiping here because that's all we're going to be doing up there. And you're going, really? It's like, you know, honestly, if you have that attitude, you really don't understand. You do have an earthly perspective. Because if you had a, a heavenly perspective, it'd blow you away right now. It should blow you away. That that's what we get to do. We get to worship day in and day out. Now, I've gone way off my notes right now. So let me get back. Because, again, it's, it's almost like this is going to be a different realm, a different di dimension even, and just a different perspective altogether. And if we can totally understand that now, right now, if, 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 because oftentimes what we focus on is on the earthly things and the things around us, and they are legit, don't get me wrong. But when we just have an earthly perspective without a heavenly perspective, then we get caught up in all the little minutia that happens in this world and with our own lives. And I could guarantee you this, that you begin to have an earthly perspective as we're going to be looking at and studying, and it changes everything. It changes everything in your life. Because all the little things that happen here, even the big things, in the whole scheme of things, nothing can be compared all, all the trials, all the things that, that, that happen here cannot con compare to the glory that shall be revealed in heaven. It, it, it does, just doesn't compare. And so if we are able right now on earth to have this heavenly perspective, then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And so put your eyes on Jesus. And look full in his wonderful face. Some of you guys are going, what? It's a song. It's a worship song. Jeez. Somebody is mouthing it over here. It's like, yeah, they know what's up. Verses 5 
4 and 5, it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunder, or lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. <laughs> I think after, he, after catching his breath somewhat, <laughs> after seeing what he had just saw altogether, after realizing where he was at and what he was seeing, the next thing that catches John's eye is the 24 other thrones that are around the throne of God. Oh, smaller thrones for sure, <laughs> but thrones nonetheless. The, these thrones are not empty either. John says that there were elders, leaders, overseers, if you will. But who are they? <laughs> well, some suggest that they are the 12 leaders of Israel from the Old Testament. And that the other 12 are the 12 apostles of the New Testament. Which could have been a little weird because John would have been seeing himself sitting there. But it's like, oh, it's already freaky, so why not? I mean, it, it's a possibility. It's a possibility that that could be. But others think that, that the, it could be angels who have been assigned to these thrones. But I don't think that holds much water. Because angels... They're already ministering spirits. They, they, they don't get lifted up like this. They, 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 they don't get exalted in this manner. They know their position. They know their place. But it says that these who are sitting on the throne have been clothed in white, which speaks of being clothed with righteousness. And angels are already there. They've already seen the glory. They don't need to repent in that sense. Not like the saints. Not like the people that need to repent and be clothed in righteousness. God's righteousness. It also speaks of crowns, which, which again speaks of receiving rewards. And these are victor crowns, not the diadems like, like the one for God. This is a lesser one. I think the, the Greek word is stephanos or something like that. These are, are, are wreaths, basically, that you would win after a race. These are rewards for those who have overcome. You know, we're going to run across the 24 elders often. But we are really never told who they are. But they do represent the people of God. Because elders are both in the OT and the NT. In the Old Testament, New Testament. These 24 elders are in a place of authority. And we'll see, as we read a little later in the next study, they know how to worship. <laughs> they truly know how to worship. You know, and I was reminded as I was looking at these 24 thrones and how they sit around God, I was reminded about what James and John, the writer here, what, what, what his mom, what their mom asked Jesus. Hey, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, 
can you allow my sons to sit on both sides of you? And remember what Jesus said, it's not for me to do that. It's up to my Father in heaven. I don't know who these are. We're never told exactly who they are. It might just be those little old ladies that have just been praying all their lives. 24 of them. Maybe they switch off. I don't know. But it says in verse 5, man, that, that however that is all taking place, man, there is, there is a proceeding from the throne, lightnings and thunders and voices coming out. And, and again, I am reminded of another scene in the book of Acts when Moses goes up to, to the, the Mount Sinai and, and all of a sudden these, these thunders and, and, and these lightnings and thunders and, and voices come from the mountain in the cloud that get, just come down and it's just this frightening sight that people are going, no, you go, Moses. I, we, we can't stand before this. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just the powerfulness. You know, I, I, I know up here especially, man, when we have these, these lightnings, you know, or these thunders, whatever. Which one's the one that makes noise? The thunder? Thunder, yes. Is it the lightning? Whatever. I mean, when they're close to you, it is so powerful that you're just like, God, jeez. Ah. And it's just not one. It's proceeding out of out of the throne of God. It just speaks of the awe and awesomeness of who God is, this power that just radiates from, from this, man. It's just, uh, again, man, it, it's almost like, man, you can get a different perspective here when you start seeing how awesome it is. And we're getting a glimpse of what he, he is all about. Oh, man. I, 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 I know I've often heard people think, yeah, when I get to, to heaven, I'm going to give God a what for and a piece of my mind. It's like, I doubt that very much. <laughs> one of those thunder, one of those lightnings might just strike you. <laughs> oh, you're in the wrong place, buddy. Crispy critter, that away, Right? And it's like, no, you are not going to be able to tell God what's up. Not when we see this picture here. Again, you're going to be on your face worshiping God. Get used to it. That is what we should be doing right now. And when we have this kind of perspective, when we can see what God is all about and what is happening in heaven, then guys, let us worship. Let us just get ready for this. Because it also says that the seven lamps, uh, uh, seven lamps of, of fire are burning around the throne. The seven lamps... If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 4, it said something about the seven spirits that surround the God, which spoke of the, the, the fullness, the completeness, and perfection of God the Holy Spirit. And in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, I shared this with you last time. I'll share it with you again. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of fear. And these are the seven characteristics of God, the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of God. He is the spirit of wisdom. He is the spirit of understanding. He is the spirit of counsel. He is the spirit spirit of might or power he is the spirit of knowledge and he is the spirit of the fear of the lord that is complete in total everything about god the holy spirit 
And so this morning, we have gotten a glimpse of what heaven is like and will be like. Man, oh man. But let me ask you, as we close, let me ask you, do you know for sure that you will ever see this? If you are sure, then you should get excited about this. Because what God has just done is, is shown you a glimpse of where he dwells and kind of what is going on there, what you're going to see for sure. And in our next study, we'll see what, what is happening. I kind of gave you a spoiler alert that we're going to be worshiping. But uh, so, so now you know what to expect, right? It shouldn't be a great transition from when you breathe your last to when you're in the presence of God. It shouldn't be. A, it's like Reddit. <laughs> Bow down. Now, if you are here and you're thinking, you know, <laughs> I really don't care to know any of this. Well, then I'll give you another piece of advice. Read about what hell is going to look like. And get used to that. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer, man. I'm just saying. Father in heaven, as we come before you, again, Lord, we are in awe that you would even, in some way, try to bring it down to our level of what majesty looks like. What the throne room looks like, Lord God. You, you allowed your servant, John, <laughs> to be caught up to be harpazoed into your very presence, to be able to try and explain to us in our little pea brains what this might look like. Lord, I am sure it's beyond comprehension already. But Lord, what we can comprehend, it will be glorious. It will be a time, Lord, of worship. It will be a time, Lord God, when we just bow down before you and experience your fullness. From God the Father to God the Son to God the Holy Spirit. To be able to experience all of that, Lord. We are in awe. <laughs> Lord, I, I want to pray for those that might be in this room right now, Lord, who maybe have that attitude that they could care less. And I pray that right now, Lord God, you would show them just how much you love them. That you already sent your Son from heaven to earth to die for all their sins, Lord. Lord, those of us who, who have received that already, Lord, are cleansed and we have that assurance of heaven. But I pray for those who are here right now, Lord God. I pray, God, that you would just reveal your love and your heart to them. Lord, there's only two ways to go here. <laughs> and I'm sure they understand that. And if they, if they don't, Lord, then they have a misconception of who you are and what your word says. And I pray that you would set them straight this morning. And so as we're all praying right now, if, if you're here this morning and you had that attitude coming in and even through the study, whatever, you know, I want to give you that opportunity right now that if you don't know Jesus and you don't know where you're going for sure, that right now you would raise your hand. It's like, whoa, I need Jesus. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Anybody else? For the first time, you're going, I need this. And some of you who have been wandering and out, out there, it's time to repent once again, right? Because he's given you that gift. 
that, that, that if you were wavering going, will I or won't I make it? Make sure right now. Is there any of you <laughs> that are going, I, I'm a Christian already, but I just need to repent. I want to pray for you too. Is there anybody? Father, I, I do pray, Father, that you would touch and minister and, and bring assurance to, to these, the believers, Lord God, who, who know you, that one day, Lord God, they get to experience heaven. And that, God, you would truly give them that perspective right now, Lord God, that will change everything and the things that they face on this world, that they are all temporal. Even death is temporal. And so, Lord, we, we look to you and we thank you. And thank you again, Lord God, that you've given us a glimpse of who you are and what's happening in heaven. We bless you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.